We have a sweet brother going to share a devo with us today. And so, uh, if you would, put your hands together for Robert Reveles. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Father, I just, um, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word, Lord. I thank you for the worship that we had, Lord. It was so sweet. Father, I pray that the people would just have ears to hear, Lord. And I pray that anything that I say that isn't of you, Lord, I pray that it would just fall on deaf ears, Lord. I just want for you to speak, Lord, and for me not to speak, Lord. I thank you, Lord, and I love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to be in Matthew 26. And um, you know, I was uh, reminded of a story preparing this message. And uh, I was at the zoo with my nieces, and uh, <laughs> I was looking at um, all the different animals and uh, how there's white horses and black horses. And there's a zebra that's basically just a black and white horse. And I was thinking what it would be like for Adam to name all the different animals. And um, I was thinking if I was Adam, I would ask him, Father, would you put together a brown chicken and a brown cow? And when he asked me, what would you name that? It would be brown chicken, brown cow. (laughs) That was for Josh. has nothing to do with my message. That was just for Josh. So I'm going to be in Matthew 26, and uh, I'm going to be speaking about trials, and the title of my message is Father Knows Best. Matthew 26, starting in 36. Then Jesus brought them to the the Olive Garden called Gethsemane, and he said, Sit here while I go ahead and pray. He took Peter and James and John, and he became filled with anguish, and he told them, My soul is crushed with grief. To the point of death, stay here and watch over me. He went on. He went on a little further and fell to his face, fell down to, on the ground, praying, "Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet your will and not my will be done." I'm just going to skip down to 42. He left them and he prayed, "My Father, if this cup cannot be taken away," Until I have drank it, your will be done. Skipping down to 44. So he went back and prayed a third time, saying the same thing again. We're going to stop there. Um, Just a little background of what's going on there is um, this is after the, the supper and He's already sent Judas off to betray him, and he's in the garden waiting basically to be crucified, crucified for your sins and my sins. And uh, he says he's filled with great anguish. And uh, this is probably the greatest trial, probably not a trial, not even close to what we would be going through, but still a trial. And I'm going to use Jesus as an example of what to do during a trial. Um what does he do? He's filled with anguish, so he goes off by himself to be with the Father. Um, I think it's better to go off by yourself. It's good when people pray over you and you pray with friends, but when you go off by yourself, you get a chance to say, you get a chance to just share your heart. You just get to tell the Father exactly what's going on. You don't have to hold back. You can just say exactly what's going on. The second thing is he went more than once. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a trial, I have to go to the Father more than once, more than three times even. And third, he, he recognized that the, the Father's will is better than his will. Um, so then, uh, so then uh, he goes back to them. And in John 18, starting in 10... Simon Peter drew his sword. This is when this is the soldiers are coming to with Judas to, to take him away. Um, Simon Peter drew his sword, slashed the right ear off of the high priest slave, and he said to Peter, Put your put your sword back in its sheath, 
shall I not drink from the cup of suffering that the Father has given me? And uh, when I when I read that, I think of a small child when the when their father or mother is trying to give them their medicine. And what do we do when we don't want to take our medicine? We turn our face and we push it away and we know it's going to make us better, but we don't like how it tastes, so we try not to take it. And as I I am in my own trial and I, I start to look at myself and I really see myself doing that, thinking... This is what I say when I'm alone with the Father. I say, Father, this is too hard. What are you doing? For me, my trial is... Um, came really close to losing my house. And I remember saying, Father, this is my house. What are you doing? And first of all, it's the Father's house. It's not my house. Second of all... He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. And and for me, there's quite a few, there's a few different types of trials. There's trials for um, direction, to mold and shape us, to correct us. This particular trial for me is a trial of correction. You see, I I work doing websites. I kind of work for myself and kind of just slide by just doing as as little work as I can. And um, had I really been working, had I really been working by the sweat of my brow, like it says in Genesis 3, there would be money to pay for the house. But because I want to do my own thing, because I think I know what I'm doing is right, it became very possible I would lose my house. So for me, this is very much a trial of correction and I remember talking to Josh about it, and I was thinking, Josh, I know exactly what's going on right now. I wish I could learn my lesson without being spanked by the Father. And for me, this is definitely a spanking to get me back in line, to to know that I need to be working every day. And I thank the Father for my spanking. It says in uh, Proverbs 13, Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children, those who love their children care enough to discipline them. So I thank the Father for loving me enough to discipline me. Now I know there's a lot of trials probably going on in this room and I'm not saying all of you just need to take your medicine and just be happy with what the Father's doing. Not all, not all trials are of correction. You need to just pray about it. You need to do like the Father did, and go away alone, probably more than once, and figure out what the Father's will is. And I want to give you a promise, a promise not from me, but a promise from the Word of God. In Romans eight twenty-eight, it says, And he that... And we that know... God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. What does that mean? It just means that everything from God is good. The trial that's going on, it may hurt. It may not be any fun at all, but it's going to work out for good. And it's probably going to mold and shape you and make you more into the person that the Lord wants you to be. And isn't that what we're all really striving after, to be more of what the Father wants us to be? So I just want to encourage you in that. Remember those three things. Get alone. Go more than once. And ultimately, just accept that not His will, but your will be done. Because Father knows best. Amen. You pray with me. Father, I just thank you for trials. Lord, I thank you for my trial. I thank you for correcting me. I thank you for caring enough to correct me. 
And Father, I pray that you would be with these, Lord, during their trials, Lord. I pray that they would just get alone with you and just spend time with you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, and I love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen, amen, a powerful word. Um, hey, Father does know best, huh? He always does. And um, those, you know, that example of Christ is a powerful one. Isn't it amazing that Jesus Christ, our King, hey, was was burdened. It was upon Him. He, he, he sweat great drops of blood. Do you remember? as he was burdened with this thing that he was about to do, to go to the cross and not only be crucified. See, I used to think this. No big deal, man. Hey, I'll go on the cross and I'd die for, I'd be crucified, what, nine hours of pain? I'll do that so that the sins of the world can be forgiven, so that everybody that wants it can get to heaven. I'll do that. But what I didn't recognize, what I was a foolish, foolish child thinking was this. I didn't recognize that the sins of the world were going to be placed upon him. Could you bear even my sins as far and yours as well? You take all the things that I've done wrong and you pay the price for it. Hey, if you had a son or a daughter, would you ever make them go to prison for someone else who killed someone? Who would do that? Who would let their son or daughter be killed or punished for another man's sin. That's ridiculous. And so to the same, why would I, just this front row here, a lot of sin up here, a lot of sin, just kidding, just kidding. <laughs> to take the front row, all of the bad things they've ever done in their lives and place it upon me. For me to take the punishment of what they have done, just here. You know what Christ did? He not only took the sins of the people who nailed him to that cross and mocked him, but he has taken the sins of the entire world. What does that mean? Every person who has ever lived been placed upon him. How many how much is that? He was in complete fellowship with his father of all times. Can you imagine? Being in complete fellowship, perfect harmony together at all times. And that the father completely turns his face and rejects his son. Why? Because sin is placed upon him. Wow. The burden that he was about to carry was more than any could ever carry. Only God himself could carry it. And he carried it. And even Jesus himself set a great example for us, didn't he? What did he do? He went by himself to talk to God. Don't forget that. That's a powerful point. If you got something going on in your life, go and seek God until it's dealt with. Deal with it. Go and talk to God until it's dealt with. And just like Rob said, if it takes three times, go back. Keep going back until it's dealt with. And ultimately, I guarantee at the end of the prayer, you'll be saying, not my will, but yours be done, O Father. You'll recognize that it's what you want. It's what you want. It's what you want. And God is saying... You need what I want because I know best. Amen? Powerful word. Let us drink it. Drink the full cup of the word spoken to us tonight. Let it minister and change us. We get more of the word of God tonight. I hope you're hungry. We're going to be feasting. Let's go before Father asking to bless our time. Oh God, my Lord and my King, Master, Savior, Creator, I thank you for this Bible, this word that you have given. Lord, there is more wisdom in this than all the psychologists in the entire world and who have ever lived. More than all the philosophers, more than every teacher, more than every brilliant scientist or man combined, there is more wisdom in your word than anywhere else. And we choose to recognize that tonight. And we choose to listen to your word. And we ask that you'd speak to us as we open the book of Isaiah and listen to your prophet speak your words. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 32, if you have your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 32. 
Hey, we are still in the part of Isaiah, the first, yes, 39 chapters is what? Judgment. Yeah, judgment and all kinds of other random stuff, okay? Isaiah chapter 32, uh-huh. We're in a time of where Isaiah is preaching judgment to the people there in that time. I mean, just really telling it how it is. What does a prophet do, if you didn't know? What does a prophet do? He doesn't do that. What does a prophet do? Anyone know? Anyone try to take a guess? What? That's right. Yeah, exactly. He speaks the truth, man. He speaks the Word of God. He testifies for God. Now, in the Old Testament, you see men literally speaking for God. Thus saith the Lord, they would say. Uh huh. And here in this day, hey, I've warned you before and I'll warn you again. When someone says, thus saith the Lord, my ears perk up. Because, hey, you're about to speak for God. You better be careful. Thus saith who? Huh? Hey, if you want to say, thus saith Josh Thompson, say whatever you want. But if you're going to say, thus saith the, huh? Who? The, huh? (laughs) The Lord? Yahweh? Hashem? You better be careful. You're about to speak for the living God and say that you're speaking His words? Careful. You better get every single word right. If you say one word that's contrary to what He's saying, you're in big trouble. You know what Deuteronomy says? You should stone that person. Dang. Stone him? Oh, man. I remember there was a guy who was trying to keep the Levitical law. I don't know if you read the book or you saw him do this thing, but he lived a full year trying to keep every single part of the law, all 600 and something laws that they have in the Old Testament. He tried to do every single one. And so when he found out somebody had committed adultery, he would have to stone them. But this is what he did, clever. He carried pebbles in his pocket. Because he said, hey, the Bible never said how big the stones had to be. So he grabbed, he, he, if someone confessed to him and said that he was a sinner, they, commit, they committed adultery or they, they were a false prophet, he saw he would walk up and he would just throw the stone and he would run away. <laughs> Stoned him. <laughs> uh, I thought that was hilarious. But he really did. He tried to keep the law. He tried to keep the law perfect. And of course he failed. That's the whole purpose of the law, to show you that you can't keep it and that you need God to save you. Um, because you can't be perfect. And only perfect people get to heaven. And so God will save you from your imperfection. And so he tried to keep the law. But as I was speaking about someone being stoned, they stoned people. They really did. You know what they did when kids were disrespectful? He not just talking back a couple times. says clearly in the law. The kids who were rebellious against their parents, little jerks, who don't listen and are disobedient and run out on their parents all the time, stone them. Bam, take them out in the back, not in the shed and whip them. Nope, (laughs) a little bit worse than that. They stoned them. Can you imagine a little rebellious jerk just going off on his parents all the time? His parents trying to seek him and love on him. Just keeps running off, keeps running off, just doing it. It's like, and the people of the city just make the decision. That kid is rebellious and we're going to stone him. They take him out to the edge of the city. You know what they did when they actually stoned? They all grabbed rocks, and they would throw them at him or her, whoever it may be. But it was always at a cliff, always at a place where they could fall. They would back them to the cliff or whatever it is, and they would throw rocks so that they would fall over the side. When they fell, they would take a giant rock and smash it over them. They would kill them. No messing around. Hey, you're lucky that the law is done away with and that Christ has fulfilled the law. Hey, the law is still something to show us what perfection is. But there is a new law in town. That's the law of Christ Jesus, Messiah. 
Romans chapter 7 says it clear that the old law has been done away with and the new law has been ushered in. What am I getting at? I'm getting at the fact that when people start saying, thus saith the Lord, you are lucky you don't live in Old Testament times. You say, thus saith the Lord, you're a dead man. Those things don't come to pass. But people say, thus saith the Lord, day and night, all over the place, on TB, N, and TV, and all of the above. I'll call it out. Hey, there are a lot of good things on TBN, absolutely. And there are other things, I just can't believe it. Um, there are a lot of things on TV, televangelism, all this stuff, people just snatching people for money. It's sad. Thus saith the Lord, you need to give your money to me. Oh, you're a dead man. And so I'm very hesitant to speak for God in any way, shape, or form, unless it is His Word. If it is His written Word, then I can say it. If it is not, hey, I ain't going to say it unless God is speaking to me in a crazy way. But Isaiah was standing there, yes, in his day, and proclaiming the truth of God, proclaiming the Word of God. We are in Isaiah chapter 32, and we're about to read his declaration. Now this declaration, um, I'm going to kind of go back and forth between ESV translation and King James, just so I can make it clear for you guys. But um, with his transla- I mean, with with his words, he really starts speaking about the Messiah. He opens up speaking about this King that's going to come, bring rest and peace. A lot of Messiah here in this passage, and a lot of uh, peace there to the people and rest there to the people in the time. But hey, we can look at other things and glean from. The passages in Isaiah are random. They really are to me. As far as I can tell, I'm not sure. As far as teaching it right now in my life, I'm not sure how to put and link each chapter together. It's not a story being told. It's not even close. Um, It seems like he bounces around. He goes from judgment upon a nation to all of a sudden proclaiming a song unto God. The singing breaks out in song. To talking about Messiah and talking about the future. Um, Random things pop up. And tonight, that's exactly what we start looking at is the future. And so, in Isaiah chapter 32, let's read together, starting in verse 1. It says, Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. People in that time, hearing something like this would be refreshing. Because, you know, the kings in that time were wicked. There were only a few that stood for God. To hear that a king would stand for righteousness, wouldn't that be great if we heard about a president who was going to do what is right? Huh. (sighs) President after president after president. Doesn't matter if he's Republican or Democrat. I don't care. I just want someone who does right. That'd be nice. Someone who does what is for the people, good for the people. And there in that time he said, Behold, the king shall reign in righteousness, and princes shall rule in judgment. And a man shall be as a hiding place from the wind, and convert from the tempest, temptus, as rivers of water in a dry place, as a shadow of a great rock in a weary land. He's going to bring them rest. And look at verse 3. And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim. And the ears of them that hear shall hearken. Interesting phrase here. The eyes of them that see shall what? See. And the ears of them that hear shall hear. Sounds very spiritual, very mystical to me. It's almost like, hey, when the Messiah comes, when hey, He establishes His kingdom, those who are ready will see. And those who have ears to hear will hear. Now, It is interesting to me that two people can hear the same thing and one hears the words of God and the other doesn't hear anything. Do you remember the time when you first sat in a Bible study and God spoke to you? You remember the first time when you had eyes to see and ears to hear? When all of a sudden your life was changed in a moment. You're sitting there, there in the pew, The pastor starts to speak and you're like, oh snap, is he speaking to me? How does he know? Why is he speaking right to my heart right now? How how does that happen? 
There's a lot of people in this room. How do you, you possibly think I know your problems and I could speak into your life? That is God in the power of His Word. That when you have eyes to see, you will speak. When you have ears to hear, you will hear. And that brings up a great point. Are you ready? Hey, there are some teachers that are really lame. Can't teach the Word of God. Either no one has taught them, or they don't have the gift. And I'll talk about that just for a sec. When there are pastors and churches who cannot teach, they should sit down. And they should allow the one that can teach to teach. Okay? And if their, if their gift is pastoring over the sheep, mercy, loving on the people, then praise God. Do you know that all pastors aren't teachers and all teachers aren't pastors? Do you know that? Why? Because you can teach the Bible very well. Do you automatically have the gift of being able to love on people and care for them in a powerful way? Hey, some people, some guys who are Bible teachers, very intellectuals, know the facts, can teach the Word of God very well, but hey, have a hard time having mercy on people. But other times, there's those pastors who just know how to love. Man, they'll lay down their lives for the flock. They're pastors. They're shepherds. They care for the people. And it bugs me to death when I go into a church and I hear a pastor who can't teach the Word, but hey, he loves the people. It's like, then do your job. Love the people. And raise someone else up who can teach. And at the same time, when you see people who struggle with ministering to the sheep, they don't have the gift of mercy, but they're a powerful Bible teacher, why would you force them and put them in situations to try and love on people and mess it up over and over and over? Why not allow the pastor to step in? Now, I believe everyone who can teach the Word of God or a teacher should have the love of God in him, should, yes, be able to counsel with the Word of God, and, yes, should be able to shepherd to a certain degree. But there are some who are very powerful. You know what I'm talking about? So why do I lay that foundation? To say this, that when you step into a Bible study, no matter who's teaching, whether it's someone who can teach or not, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let those who have eyes to see, let him see. If you so desire to hear from God, then hear from Him. And if you don't, then shut your ears and close your eyes and walk out with nothing, complaining that you were fed nothing. Not true. If the Word of God opens up, you will be fed. You're like, yeah, but I only got a Twinkie. Hey, that's all right. You got fed. You got something. I only got a little bit of Kool-Aid. No milk at all. Well, hey, Kool-Aid's good. Hey, take the opportunity to receive the Word of God. Amen? Can we do that? Anytime. Hey, God can speak through a donkey, okay? If He can speak through a donkey, I think He can speak through a guy, a man, woman. Yeah, I think He can. And so let him who has ears to hear and those who have eyes to see, I truly believe it every single time you come to a Bible study that it is up to the person listening. Yep. That's what it comes down to. Now it does, again, I come back to the fact whether or not a guy is a Bible teacher or not, that's a big deal. I know that you're going to get fed in some places more than others, and I'll give you a word on that as well. If the places, if the church that you're going to and you're not getting fed, why are you there? Well, because my family's there. Well, if you were dedicated to the place and you were receiving and being built up and encouraged, then stay. And if you are not, then what are you doing? I ask why. You know, my dad, I was raised in a Pentecostal church of about 30 people. My dad stayed faithful to that place for like 15 years or something. Maybe even longer than that before I was born. And my dad only stayed faithful because the pastor would put the burden on him. Like, we don't have any other worship leader. Are you going to leave us? And I, I do, I praise my dad for his faithfulness, but at the same time, I just want to be like, Dad, look him in the face, man, and just say, look, people are not being built up here. Let's be honest. If you want me to stay here and lead worship, then you teach the Word of God correctly. And these people should be built up and blessed. We shouldn't remain 30 people for the rest of our entire lives. 
It says in the, 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 the book of Acts that the church was added to daily. Every single day the church was being added to. I'm not saying you have to have a church of a thousand people. It ain't about that. But people should be growing and the church should be active and living and vibrant. Let him who have ears hear. Even as I say this to you, let him who have eyes see what I'm saying to you. Don't miss it. When the Messiah shows up in that day, there in the millennial reign, the millennial kingdom, even as he showed up here, isn't it interesting how Jesus spoke in parables and only certain people could understand him? Let him who have ears hear what the Spirit is saying. It says verse 4, Take heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly. Hold on, let me read this in the ESV, verse 4 again. The heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctively. Distinctly, I'm sorry. Verse 5, the fool will no more be called noble. You see that? The fool will not be called noble, nor the scoundreler, or the liar, or the person who's sneaky, say, be said to be honorable. Let's stop there. In this time when Messiah reigns and when this king comes and when these new princes reign, the fool will not be exalted. The liar will not be lifted up. You know who's lifted up in our day? Fools. Josh, I can't believe you're calling them fools. Can't do that. Um, well, the Bible says, the fool says in his heart there is no God. The fool. Um, I remember all the time, me and my buddy Jeremy, <laughs> we used to chant this all the time when people would complain about college and how their pe- professors uh, say things and rise up against God. We'd be like, go to school and be taught by fools. Go to school and be taught by fools. Go to school and be taught by fools. We would chant it and clap it and dance around it and all the above. It was fun. Because the fool says in his heart there is no God. It's true. Now, hey, you got to go to school to get degrees and to make money in these days. You do. And so I don't want to put that down, but I want you to guard yourself. Here in this day and age, isn't it sad that MTV promotes and lifts up those who party? Those who reject God, those who give God the finger and say, I'm going to live however I want to live. Don't try to get in my life. Don't try to tell me what is right and what is wrong. I'm going to do my own thing. Okay, you are a fool, and you will not be praised in the time that Messiah and that God reigns. Do you know the one who will be praised? It's not the one that rolls on 20s. Nope, Uh uh-uh. It's not the one that is famous and rich. No, no. It is the one who is humble before God that will be lifted up. That is the one. And there's no one else. And I feel bad for so many people that I come in contact with. We were just at Friday's the other night. I was getting my Jack Daniels burger, my favorite. Love that burger. And there they have the new bar and the new cranking music and all this stuff going on. And hey, looks like a party. Looks like fun. Um, it is for about that long. It's like you dance for like a second. Like, yeah, this is fun. And then you get drunk. And then you do something stupid. And then you become a fool. And then you do something wrong in your life and you're bummed about it, huh? And you complain and you blame it on other people. You wonder why so-and-so was such a jerk to you and so she said this and that, 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 that. It's like, okay, um, uh, well, it's foolish. I've been using this word fool a lot for some reason lately. It's been rolling off my lips. I think it's because I've just been analyzing this world more and more. And the things of the world are very, very foolish. And you will learn this over and over and over in your life. From things like what? When you get in a dispute with a Christian, you can either act like a fool or you can act righteous and do the right thing. You can act like the world. It's so easy to see. In your relationships, 
whether it be with friends, with boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife. What are you talking about, Josh? Clear example. Want to see an example of the world? A foolish move. When someone looks you in the face, whether it be your friend, girlfriend, boyfriend, whoever, and they say, you did this. As soon as you turn around and say, well, you did this. You fool. (laughs) I mean, you're doing exactly what the world does. Right? What would Jesus do? WWJD. Respond back and attack? And never. It's the most foolish thing I've ever seen. It reminds me so much of my days in the world. That's what I used to do all the time. It was almost like a little slugfest. Like who could point out more things that the person did wrong and that's the one who wins. Foolish. You know how you just win every time? I was talking with a brother about it today. They say, you did this. You say, you know, I'm sorry. And you win. You win the argument. You know, I'm just, you know, I'm really sorry about that, man. You know, I, I just, I didn't mean to do that. Sorry for being a jerk to you. I really didn't mean to. And what do they do immediately? Oh, you know, man, I'm just being a jerk right now. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry about that. You see, when you walk in righteousness, you do things that are right. God's going to bless. It says the fool will no more be called noble. To do wrong in this day, don't you, do you notice that? It's like to be noble. You notice that in the teenager's life? You teenagers in here, get this. Don't miss this. It's important. If you don't notice this, figure this out right now. For some reason, it's cool to be bad. It's so noble. It's so cool. I, I, I don't know why that, that is. And I'm, I'm a rebellious little jerk sometimes. I really am. But I even look within my own life and I try to analyze why I want to rebel and be bad. And why we look at that and say, that, man, that's cool. That's really cool, man. That's, that's like the coolest thing I've ever seen. Being bad. I don't get it. Because if you just think one step further, pass beyond doing something bad, you'll recognize what? That that bad will only bring bad in your life every single time. Right? Is that noble? No, all you got to do is think, just, just, just think for not two seconds, just one second. Just think, just for a second. Think beyond what the foolish man does and recognize that it is not a noble thing. In that day when the king is reigning, hey, no fool. Justin Timberlake is a fool. Can't say that. Um, he sure lives like a fool. Hmm. The person who rejects God is a fool. There's no other explanation. How do you know if he rejects God? Because of his lifestyle. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Don't say, God bless you as you hold a Grammy in your hands and go live completely contrary to the God you just spoke about. It's not. It's like spitting in my face, being my friend and then going behind my back and doing something else. That's sad. That's foolish. Fools will no longer be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. For the fool speaks folly, and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied, to deprive the thirsty of drink. Man, I mean, I really want to put down the world in your eyes as much as I possibly can. Because I know it's enticing. I know the flesh cries out. But I'm sick and tired, family, of seeing the TV and the computer in our society lift up the one who drives the biggest truck and lift up the one who has the most money and lift up the girl who's the most beautiful 
What does that mean in the economy of God? What happens when the man with a big truck stands before God? He looks at him, he says, God says, wow, that's uh, lame. Check my truck out. Uh huh. And the guy with money walks up. He checked me out. I'm, I'm rich and stuff. Like people like me. Um, yeah, we we use that for asphalt up here. So just just put it over there, and we'll start driving on it. Yeah, the streets are paved with gold. Beauty. Yeah, I'm the most beautiful girl. She says in the world. People gawk at me and look at me. And she stands before God. You want to see beauty? I'll show you beauty. To behold the beauty, the beauty of the Lord. To inquire in His temple, the temple of the Lord. His beauty is far greater than anyone has ever seen. And I'm telling you this, I will shout at the top of my lungs as much as I can. That a mother who is beautiful and wears Nordstrom's jeans and drives a nice car, the children don't give a rip if she doesn't love them. She doesn't care for them and take time with them to minister to them, to bless them. Who cares? That is what will be praised. You must figure that out now in your young age, people. If you don't, you will be pursuing things like money, pursuing things like fame, like beauty, pursuing things like knowledge, information, a greater job and career. And at the end of the day, you will say, I am a fool if you do that. Don't do it. Verse 7, as for the scoundrel, he de- his devices are evil. He plans wicked schemes to ruin the poor with lying words, even when they plea of the needy is right. But he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. Did you hear that? He who is noble does what? Plans noble things, and what? The things he stands on are noble. Is that true to be said about you tonight? Are you noble in the things of the Lord? Would people look into your life and say, noble, up, down, left, right, all the way around? The people that know you, it's a good question to ask ourselves. A person who is noble will do noble things, okay? So let's look at the things that we do in our lives. If we do noble things, then we are noble. If we don't do noble things, then we are not noble, correct? Noble things. I'm reminded once again of Pastor Ralph Arthur, who has lived an incredible life. He's impacted me. I don't know, man. Just as I sat there at his funeral once again, thinking back, I just was... I was talking with a buddy at the gym last night about it. I've talked so much about this funeral than I have about anyone I think who's ever died in my life. Just about the person, you know? A lot of times you don't want to talk about the person. No, we talk about Ralph all the time. Because the guy was noble. Worked at Stater Brothers for 16 years, man. And the people everywhere knew who he was and what he did and what he stood for. And no one was holding anything against him. Nobody was ticked off about his life. They were blessed, man. They saw his good works and they wanted to glorify Father or get as far away from him as they could. In peace, of course. Not wanting to fight him, but just like, man, i got to get away before he convicts my spirit. Noble. Wouldn't that be sweet? We see a generation here in this room that rises up and is actually noble. You know what my goal is? I'm really excited about this. It's something I think about all the time. That me and a group of guys here and families here, when we do have families one day, wherever I'm at, the people that are around that I would literally 
step by step be able to help and encourage and motivate as I motivate myself to raise our kids in the ways of the Lord in nobility, to teach them the ways of the Lord from a young age, the purpose in our hearts with all that we have to raise a godly family. It is one of the greatest goals. When I die, my one thing that I want to accomplish above all things is that I raise a godly family. That's it. I don't care if I start a church. I don't care if I do any of that stuff. If I can pass on a godly heritage where my kids will raise up a godly family, I've done a good job. I'm telling you, if you would simply purpose in your heart with me, start doing things that are noble now so that everything that you stand on will be noble, you will be blessed and your kids and your family will be blessed and your spouse will be blessed. You've got to start now. There's a rebuke that starts to come from Isaiah after this celebration of this king coming, Messiah reigning, this nobility coming, this peace to the earth. Hey, where fools are not praised anymore. Uh uh-uh. uh. All of a sudden, this rebuke comes. It's kind of random. And the commentators didn't know what to say about it. It says, verse 9 Rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice. Huh? Uh oh. Women? Why women? They don't know. They say that the women there in that time, there could have been some like rising up against Isaiah, getting all ticked off at him for some reason. And he tells them straight up, he just calls them out, these ladies, who are, hey, not following the Lord. They're completely far from. Look what he says, though. He says, rise up, you women who are at ease. Hear my voice. Or listen up, you women who are lazy, who are not moving, who are not doing what is right. You complacent daughters, give ear to my speech. Wow. Wow. Huh? Complacent daughters? Interesting. Hmm. He's speaking as if they're doing nothing. How do I say this? Complacency has definitely snuck into the American woman. The American girl... The American society at that, let me be honest. Hear me out, please. Complacency. Do you know, women, that the rest of the women in the world put American women to shame with their diligence and hard work under their families? Put them to shame. Because we do not teach our society, how to do the things that they are called to do. Isn't it sad when men aren't taught how to be men? You know that the boy in Jewish times, you know when he was to become a man? When it was time? When do we say you're a man? Like 18, huh? Like you're a man, it's time to move on, get out of the house, all these stuff. You know when it's time to become a man in the Jewish times? 12 years old. 12, you are a man. And now it's time for you to stand up and start taking responsibility. I heard uh, a brother tell me just recently, because he was speaking about the complacency of many men and be- from men becoming being boys and becoming men, he was speaking about this guy that he heard teach, and he said this. He said that this guy that was teaching said to his wife, the kids, the boys, well, the boy, the boy especially. He said, the boy, when he can't walk, he's yours. But as soon as he can walk, he is mine. And I'm going to teach him how to be a man. From the day that he can walk. Before he can walk, you nurture him and take care of him, and he is your baby. But as soon as he starts to walk, he is mine. And I will start to teach him the ways of the Lord. And teach him. He is now to walk in the ways of the Lord. He's now to walk in the footsteps of his father. He is to learn by 12 years old he should be able to do a whole lot. Yes. 12-year-old kids these days don't even know to tie their shoe. You know? I want, I need, do this. You tell their parents what to do. I... 
We're going through this thing called prayer and share. It's where we learn how to counsel families and counsel relationships and counsel in the church, what the pastors go through. And the pastor who's teaching it said this. A, a kid was sitting there, a teenager was sitting there with his parents. And uh, he said, do you take the boy to church? And he's like, no, he won't go. What do you mean he won't go? Aren't you his parents? Like, yeah. Well, who's the boss here? Are you or is he the boss? Who tells who what to do? Interesting. How have the rules changed? I'm not going to go. Huh? What do you mean you're not going to go? Okay, you're not going to go. How do you deal with that? You snatch everything out of the room. Give me that cell phone. Give me everything you got. Oh, you like privacy? No door on your hinges. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, you want to go somewhere? Nope, not going anywhere. Hmm. I know a pastor who is dear to my heart who had a daughter who was very rebellious. And she chose to run from him. I think it was almost a year that it took to break her. She was very rebellious and would talk back to her mother all the time. And so he said, you talk back, you're grounded for a month. Because it was just too much. It was going overboard. She talked back, grounded for a month. She would get to day 26, and guess what she'd do again? Talk back. You're grounded for another month. She'd get close to those 28. You're grounded for another month. She would get so close to being set free. He would ground her and ground her and ground And she was almost didn't see daylight for like a year. One day, guess what happened? She woke up. She never talked back to her mom after that again. Just like Rob said today, if you discipline your kids, you love them. Because you teach them what's right. Women who are complacent will never discipline their children. And when a man comes to take care of business, she will complain. Because she doesn't want him to discipline and to put into place. But a woman who fears the Lord will be so right on and focused within her heart to see her family put in right position and right standings before God that I believe she will prepare herself even now. I hope ladies, I'm going to speak to the guys right after this, but ladies, I hope that you are thinking in your hearts, even now, as young people, who am I supposed to be for my family? What role do I have? What am I supposed to play? What do I need to learn to do? I hope that you're looking to the older women who have lived it and who have done it already, seeking wisdom and counsel, trying to figure out how it works, what it means. You know? You should be. And the same with you brothers. You guys... You need to learn to become men. And if your father hasn't taught you that, then let father teach you that now. Stop messing around. Get yourself in order. You can't play video games for the rest of your life. You've got to get a job if you want a family. Shame on you if your wife supports you. Unless you're disabled or you can't work or something. You know, whatever happened to men? People are complacent. That's what it is. America is complacent. We do not pass on the traditions. We glamorize everything on the TV and show how we think it's supposed to be. And then reality strikes, and it doesn't work. He says, you complacent daughters, give ear to my speech. Verse 10, in a little more than a year you will shudder, you complacent women, for the grape harvest fails. The fruit harvest will come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Shudder, you complacent ones. Strip and make yourselves bare and tie sackcloth around your waist. Stop there. I want to to go back to what he says in verse 10. Did you see it? You complacent women, the grape harvest fails and the fruit harvest will not come. And he goes on to expound on that just in a little bit. What does that mean? It means this, that when you are complacent, you will reap what you sow. I am reaping what I'm sowing even in my life right now. Did you know? Let me tell you about it. I have not been a man. The way I'm supposed to be, the, biblically, the way things are supposed to be done. I wasn't taught correctly. I didn't have someone to teach me. 
And so as soon as I recognized the complacency and the things that I was doing, you know, since I was like 18 years old, I just kind of worked jobs. I was on my own for a long time there. And I just bought whatever I want. I did whatever I want. I tried to serve God with all my heart. But I didn't know anything about being financially stable. You know, it's a big role for the man. Guys, did you know that? Guys say, I want to get married. Do you have a job? Um, kind of working on it. Hey, what, do you, what do you mean? Who's going to bring home the bacon? <laughs> I mean, have you bought a house or something? No. Um, what's going on? I mean, what would we say is the right way? What would we say? How would we define that? Wouldn't you say for a man that he would learn how to be stable, learn how to pay his bills on time, get out of debt, have money in the bank ready for his wife? Hey, have, have a place at least ready of some kind? Working hard at that, right? Ready? Spiritually, he's ready. He's focused. He's dependent on the Lord. He's not bouncing from woman to woman. No. He's focused. He's involved in ministry. Mm-hmm. He's a man. Right, ladies? If you don't get yourself ready, like I have not been ready, then you waste your time. You waste life. I've wasted so many years. Josh, but it seems like you've done so much. <sighs> you know, I just wish I was further along. There are so many younger guys who put me to shame. They've been diligent. God has blessed them in so many ways. And I am now learning. I've got a lot of debt i got to pay off. If you didn't know, I'm working on it right now. It's probably going to take me a full year before I will be debt free. Full year. I'm just paying bills solid. I can't buy stuff. I have to just keep paying. Because I haven't been diligent. God woke me up about a year ago and just said, what are you doing? I've been complacent. And I'm here to tell you tonight, brothers, get ready. Ladies, prepare yourselves. Or the harvest will come and you will have nothing. Everyone else will be reaping, bringing in the goods. Hey, look at the grapes. Look at the size of my grapes. And you'll be like, oh, I got little baby grapes. <laughs> That's all I got. Because you haven't planted. Let's continue on here, huh? It says, beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, verse 12, for the fruitful vine, for the soil of my people growing up in thorns and bears. Yes, for all the joyous houses in the exalt, exultant city. For the palace is forsaken and populous city deserted. The hill and the watchtower will become dens forever, a joy of wild donkeys and pasture of flocks until the Spirit is poured upon us from a high, and the wilderness becomes a, fruit, a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is deemed a forest. And the justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruit field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. Did you hear that? The effect of righteousness is what? Peace. Peace, yeah. He speaks about this desolate land and how everything's messed up, but when the Spirit of God comes down, everyone is changed in an instant. Everything is lit up. And notice there, look at verse uh, yeah, 17, you there? And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, what? Quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places, and it will hail... When the forest falls down and the cities will be utterly laid down, happy are those, happy are you who sow beside all waters, who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. What is he talking about here? He says this, the person who lives righteous will be at peace, will be at rest, will have fruit. And the person who doesn't, hey, We know exactly where you'll be. I was telling a guy there at UCR just the other day as I was sitting with him, he's in a cult religion. He 
He's in the Unification Church. And I was sitting there talking with him and just explaining how when you seek righteousness, you will be blessed, you will have peace, you will be at ease in life. He said, Josh, are you happy? I looked at him and smiled. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. But I said, Tim, you want to know why I'm happy? It's because I seek the one who had the oil of gladness dumped upon his head. He was the happiest man to ever walk the earth. His name's Jesus. You want to know why he was happy? Because he walked in righteousness. He was perfect. You want to be sad? You want to be depressed? You want to be bummed? Do your own thing. Do what you think is right. Follow your ways. Do you need peace? Be righteous. I want to be at rest. Be righteous. I want satisfaction in life. Be righteous. Holiness is happiness. Okay? When you seek holiness with all your heart, you will be happy deep within inside. Isaiah speaks to a generation there in that day of prophetic things. A king that will come and establish his kingdom, bring peace to the earth and happiness. Righteous will be evident there. And I'm telling you, family, that when you seek righteousness with all your heart, I'm telling you it will come at ease. And I guess I'll just close with that. Um, my mentor, John Corson, man, guy that I looked to for a long time. You know, he doesn't have a testimony, he says. <laughs> He's like, I was raised in the church. Uh, all I ever did was write. <laughs> never smoked weed. He never drank anything. Nope. Never went to a party. Never looked at pornography. Nope. Never did any of those things. He's just a good kid. He just loved God. It's like, man, that guy's a geek. Never experienced anything in life. Oh, that's interesting. Because uh, he was voted the most popular kid in high school. He was captain of his football team. He got the superintendent award of the top student of all of his schools in the district. He got a full ride to college. He did the shot put and the discus. He just kept seeking after God and walking with him. He has one of the most powerful families I've ever seen in my life. I've heard it said that every person who bears the name Corson, his last name, that's in his immediate family, is a Christian. He's the happiest guy next to Ralph Arthur I have ever seen in my life. And if you've met him, you know. I don't have to tell you. I hear people time and time again. There's a deep, sincere, genuine happiness and joy in the man. Why? Because he seeks Jesus, man. I've seen it with my own eyes. I lived with him for four months. I watched him day and night and kept saying to myself, does this guy ever get down? What are you so happy about? Wipe that smile off your face. <sighs> and we could say the same about Pastor Alf Arthur joy and peace like I've never seen. Did I read you what I wrote in my journal? Did I read you that last week about Pastor Ralph? And uh, No? Would you bring me my bag, Justin? Pretty please. I wrote something in there right after right after uh, right after the funeral because it just blew me away. Thanks, brother. But you know what John said after he had told his testimony to us? He said, you know, yes. He said, God has just always been good to me. I don't want to do anything against him. I don't want to run from him. He's just been good to me. Why would I want to rebel against him? I'm just like, dang it. That's right. 
Why would I want to run from the one who just blesses day and night? So I write in my journal. If you don't have a journal, you should get one. Because you're going to forget all the things that you wish you could remember. Check this out. I'm going to read two things to you. Pastor Ralph's wife said this. She says, I will know where my husband is when I get to heaven. It will be the easiest to find him because he will be the ones with hands lifted the highest. It's true. I write, Josh, whose life do you want to follow after? Who do you want to be like? And I write, I want to be like John Corson. I want to be like Ralph Arthur. They seem to be the happiest men I've ever met. They enjoy life more than anyone I've ever known. And I write, look at all the great atheists who ever lived. Look at the richest men, the famous people. None of them seem to have a life that I want to have. I want to have a happy, full, wonderful life. And so I will follow the men who have what I have seen, the most happy, the most full, and the most wonderful lives. Men I want to be like. And all right, help me, Lord. The chief and highest goal of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Whoever you want to be like, follow after those. Those are the two men that I've found who have found happiness, found joy, and found peace in their lives. Uh huh. And I want that. And so I'm going to pray over you tonight, okay? If you choose to receive the blessing, then let it be upon you. If not, but I'm going to pray that God would fill us with His Spirit in such a way that you would seek the things of righteousness so powerfully that you would receive peace and rest in your life. Can we do that? Please, family, just gird up your minds just for a moment. I'm sorry that this isn't a half an hour TV show and it's not over. Father, I pray for this group that the things of the world would not sneak in upon them. Lord, I want to ask that you would bless them. That, Father, you would stir in them a passion to seek your spirit and your heart and seek holiness in such a powerful way that, Lord, they would find rest and peace because they do the things that bring you glory. It is only in you that these things are found. And so I pray this blessing upon them that it actually enable them to start walking in this righteousness and in this peace. Please bless them. Please help them to walk and to live according to your word. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. I love you guys. Thanks for letting me lecture you. Um, if I ever do start a church one day, I don't know if you want to come to it. Uh, because, say, sermonettes are not a part of this camp. Little mini sermonettes. Oh, that's cute. Um, I'm looking to go for what Paul did. You know, the whole preaching through the whole night thing? Maybe we'll try that once, see who can keep their eyes open. Yeah. But I hey, love you guys. Um, thanks for being patient. And thank you for taking in the Word of God. Please don't just be hearers of the Word, but be doers. Don't let these words be in vain. Walk in the name of Jesus. Walk in power out of this place. Amen? Love you guys. We'll see you next week.